Ron DeSantis. Is Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows that because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars in debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook, your sports show, your Thursday. Going to be another golf-heavy day here on the Snap Hook as Tim Costello joined as always, with Scott Barzilla. All right, Tim. I think you know our our listeners are dying to find out what happened in your league and your scramble that you played in this last week. I'm going to start off with the scramble because that's actually a very frustrating story, Scott. Let's. I'm going to preface this with a question. When someone tells you a scramble, everything start say it starts at 11. What does that mean to you? Well, I would think that if you're starting at 11, it's a shotgun start. At 11 o'clock? Yes. Okay. I showed up at 10.15 to hit balls, to be warm, everything like that. Eerily empty at this point. Like, no bags on the carts. I'm the first one there. No sign-in. No check-in. Looking, I'm like, oh, I don't, man, I don't know. So I go to the range. Nothing set up for me to warm up. I, I, I hit a few of the balls that are there. A, a member offers me some of their balls. I get back over. I find my cart, and it says one o'clock tee off. So I call the I call the person who who invited me, and I said, Hey, uh, I'm here. It's uh, 10:45. He told me it starts at 11. What's going on? Like, yeah, check-in starts at 11. And I just, like, if I had paid for this event, I would have lost it. But because I was an invite, I, I, you know, I was very disappointed because I had somewhere to be at 6. Uh, you know, my mind, 11 to 11 o'clock, 5 hours, I'm done at 4, I can go be where I need to be. If I tee off at 1, I'm not done until 6 o'clock. I got to be somewhere at 6. It's never going to happen. So then I had to... uh I had to tell them, hey, I'm sorry, you're going to have to play with three because you can't communicate on what a tee time is 
And uh, you just went from being the favorite in this event to you're probably not going to win anymore. So I'm sorry for that. But I was more disappointed because this was a fancy looking golf course, the kind that you got to check in at the gate. They took my VIN number down. You know, they, uh, this was this was a fancy course and had to uh, had to walk away, Scott. I can honestly say that has never happened to me. So that's a first that I've heard that. It was a first for me, too. I think it was someone who honestly just didn't know anything about golf, um, who's the one who made the arrangements for her boss. And it it sucks. But it is what it is. Uh, league went league went interestingly. Um, so my partner, I'd say he's probably like in real life a 16. Like if you took his full 18-hole USJ handicap, he's like a 16. Um, he's not played up to form in this league. And he gets 15 strokes on nine holes. And the reason he gets 15 is he keeps shooting over that. Like, he shot a 59 one day. Like, it's been rough. And um, he finally put it all together. And he shot a 44 on on nine holes, which is eight over. Uh, he gets, no, he got 14 strokes. So he got, he was six under for his round and ended up coming in first place. And then... Um, our team ended up in first place as well. Cause I threw in a couple birdies, uh, and, mo- and a lot of pars and then his other stuff matched it up. So we're, we won as a team. I finished like 17th. I shot two over, um, which again, I'm not too upset about. I actually emailed the, the, the head of the league saying like, you guys are killing me. What is your handicap system? Cause I've, you know, I've shot everything from a five over to a one under on nine holes. And you've got me as a zero. Like, what is this? What is this system? And all they do is they take your best two of your last five rounds, and that's your handicap. So I've got a one over and a one under. I'm a zero, and I got to compete with people who get um, the guy. The guy I played against last week got 18 strokes on nine holes. Um, to be fair, he shot 62, but uh, it was Scott. It was rough. It was. I can't remember the last time I, I played nine holes with somebody who shot a sixty-two. Um, it was it was it was fucking rough, man. Like any like I'm walking off the green already done for the hole, and this guy's like chipping it back and forth over the green. So luckily, I haven't shot sixty-two lately because you know, that makes me feel a little bit better. I thought I might, you know, at one point during the uh, first round of the golf thon. But what I can tell you is, if if you do come to the golf thon next year, I, I I can assure you. Your handicap is what you shoot. Uh, we take the last 10 rounds at the event, and that's your handicap. And I have to tell people that over and over and over again, and they don't you know, quite understand. But, you know, I don't do any of this 80% of But what about crap. the newcomers? Like if someone like me comes in who's never played the event before, what are you taking my handicap as? Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to take you at your word. Uh, I, got a, I got a USGA handicap. You could look me up. I could, but you know, usually what we do, I'll be kind of uh, be honest, is we inflate that a little bit. So, if you told me, for instance, that you were legitimately a one, you might find yourself as like a three or a four, uh, just because. Um, the golfathon is just a kind of unique kind of experience where. You're playing with so many people of you know different 
levels and different knowledge of the game you know and people are always talking in your backswing and so we just you're not going to play your best golf at the golf of the hunt oh i see it uh for those of y'all who are listening tim is showing me his handicap of indexed 1.0 that is his handicap but in all honesty if you came to me and you said i'm, I'm a one i'd put you as a three or a four because you know what's what's going to happen you shoot a 70 okay uh you're you're 200 par that still means you're shooting a 66 or a 67 net which is not going to win in our in our tournament because you know somebody always comes in with like a 20 and they shoot like an 82 and you're just like what the hell i mean this last year we had a guy who legitimately he's played in the, in the event every year he's legitimately in the event he is a was it 18 he shoots a 75 now you can do the math what's that net tim Guy shot fifteen under. That is a fifteen under net. That's a fifty-seven. Somebody took some lessons in between the last event and this one. Well, he admitted that around the year he's been playing to a six, but we take his scores at the event, and I had to repeat that a number of different times because everybody, oh, the hell, the hell, it's like he's been a legitimately eighteen over the last you know ten rounds. So that's kind of what the, the whole idea is, is that if you play bad enough or long enough, hopefully things will catch up with you and you'll have a good year. I mean, that's what's supposed to happen. Now, what happens to me is I keep shooting worse every year. And, you know, that's just I never catch that. It's like, you know, chasing the uh, the dragon. You know, if you're a heroin addict, it's, it's kind of the same thing in my golf game, which I know. Well, I don't you know. Speaking of that, though, Scott, we had the episode last week where we talked about what what I thought you should be in club-wise. And we've stayed in communication throughout the week. And I, I kind of sent you today to a local used club store to, to continue that quest because I, I don't want you chasing the dragon. I want you to find what it is that you're looking for. And they kind of had some interesting thoughts that I thought would be beneficial for our listeners that also might be in search of trying to fix their game through getting into the right clubs. And so you and I talked about, let's bring that conversation on the podcast because I think we can get you back there. I don't think this is a, um, a fool's quest. If I may, I, I think with the right equipment, I still believe we can get you back into the high eighties. So I think, you know, to start off with, with the irons, um, I think their thought process was the same as I wanted to, you know, we talked about curated last week with Ryan. I know he said he was going to listen to the podcast. I haven't heard from him. So, you know, maybe he discovered that Tim is trying to steer me away from curated and buying stuff from him. He got pissed off. If that happened, Ryan, I apologize, you know, that these things happen. But um, his advice at the store is fairly similar. He, he led me to uh, a used set of pinks, which had graphite shafts. Uh, the club was noticeably lighter than, you know, the clubs I have been using. Um, I'm not sure the exact model, like when it was released, because, you know, I, I, I kind of buy golf clubs the same way I buy electronics and things like that, where once, like when I buy a new TV, 
I don't look at TVs until I'm ready to buy another TV, which is probably going to be 10 years down the road because then you'll just end up getting pissed off that you paid as much as you did for, you know, the TV that you got. I, I buy golf clubs the same way. When, when I buy a new set of golf clubs, I don't look at golf clubs until I'm ready to buy another set of golf clubs uh, because, you know, it'll probably just end up pissing me off. So I'm going to guess that these pings are probably about 10 years old. Just guessing. Now, I mentioned to Tim on, the, on our chat line, I felt like I was on a DeLorean because right next to those pings he showed me were beryllium copper old, the old pings. Like, you were even the ping I2BQs. Yes, even before the ping zings. Like, all the we're talking now because the weird thing is, I remember. I remember how weird it was. And I don't know if you ever played with those like pigs of that age. But I had a I had a ping eye three bladed two iron was the only one I ever had. But the weirdest thing is like just looking at the wedge. The wedge was just so weird because you know the hosel is so thin and then you know the toe of the club is just like so tall it just creates kind of an interesting effect and it's one i remember back in the 90s you know back when i was young but you know it's kind of a little bit jarring because you know you haven't seen anything quite like that now unfortunately this set of brilliant copper you know pigs had a, a stiff sh- uh well they had a stiff steel shaft so those are kind of out you know, in terms of, you know, what I'd be looking for. He did show me some drivers. Uh, most of the drivers he showed me were 10, 10.5 degrees because that's what he recommended. And kind of come, uh, come, come to hear the fact that he only had like two drivers that were 12 degree drivers. And so he's being a little bit salesman at that point. He's thinking, hey, I can make a sale. Oh, you really don't need a 12 degrees as long as you have a good shaft that, you know. And it's like, okay, maybe so. But one of the cool things they did is they, they have a, a fitting service and it lasts 40 minutes. And I didn't do that today. Um, but it's a whole lot cheaper than what I've seen, you know, around town. Like there's a place called Golf Tech that's over by Baybrook Mall. They, they advertise their lessons and their fittings for 150 bucks. Uh, this place is charging half that. And so, you know, what I'm thinking is, okay, number one, instead of them just guessing, hey, I think this is what you need, they're going to get to watch me hit some balls and probably get a much better idea of, hey, this is what you need. But number two, they might realize a few things along the way saying, hey, you know, you realize when you're taking it back, you're doing this, or hey, you know, when you look at your grip, like you're doing this, or, uh, and, and that's what I'm kind of hoping for. That's going to be, that's going to happen next week. Because uh, I don't know if this happens to you, for instance, you're t- speaking of grip. Uh, when I play for golf, more than one round of golf, like and this usually happens at the golf thon, but if I play consecutive rounds, my middle finger on my right hand, there's on the side, the skin literally just rips open. And it's like, uh, bleeds everywhere. Now, what makes me feel good about that is that it happens on the same place every time. So that means my grip's pretty damn consistent. 
but it also is kind of one of those things like, gee, am I really gripping the club the right way or am I forming yeah, some bad are. habits? You are because I, I have a hard callus in that spot. I have a callus um, right below, like on my, my ring finger, right below my second knuckle where the club lays. And I have one on that same side of that finger from where I interlock. And so um, like when it's really, really cold out or stuff like that, like I get a lot of dead skin that rubs off on the sides of my hands. So I don't think that's that's a problem for you at all. I, I have a similar um thing it's just i play so much that i have really really hard calluses there yeah that's probably that's probably the ticket uh yeah actually i I bought some stuff at the store and i haven't used it but uh i don't know if you heard of a product called new skin i haven't no uh so basically it's like it looks like a fingernail polish if you uh but what it does is you put it in that you know over that piece of skin and it forms it's almost like putting super glue on your hand uh where it's just in order to rip through that you'd have to really be trying um and i just forgot to bring it along because it's you know it's not something that you know i've really thought much about um so i'm looking forward to next week i'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out um i have a feeling it's going to end up telling me those are the same things that we talked about last week and that, you know, Ryan mentioned, you know, the chat lines with him curated, but you know, you like to just hear things reinforced because, you know, we've talked about buying clubs on eBay or buying clubs on, you know, the Facebook marketplace or um, at used clubs. And, and I, and I don't necessarily mind going that route, but I want to make sure that I know exactly what I'm looking for before. Um, I, I really get into that process. It's such an investment to to purchase a set of golf clubs, whether they're they're new or used, and it's it's just it's nice to know you're getting the thing that's going to fit you. You're going to enjoy playing them. You're going to hit good shots with them, um, and they're the right thing for you. So even if even if you don't buy anything from that store, um, getting the data of what you need and then taking that data out into the world to say, hey, I need this weight of shafts. I need a driver of this loft with this, with this flex. And it needs to be one with some offset because I have an issue with, with a right spin ball, whatever it may be, right. Just getting that data um, is only helpful in, in the process of finding that next use set. So you mentioned some clubs, you know, in our chat line, I want to bring forth, you know, some memories, um, and this brought back a memory of mine. You talked about you're, you're a lover of Mizuno's. Um, and I remember, you know, and I mentioned my favorite driver that I ever had that got stolen out of my parents' garage was the, uh, the original Burner Plus. So we're talking like late 80s model tailor-made. And what's funny is I saw one of those years later because I know it was like a, either like first T or HGA event where they were just giving away clubs. Uh, this would have been when you were playing in the HGA. So this is how long ago this was. And they were still giving away clubs from like the late eighties. They gave away those original titanium shaft drivers. I don't know if you remember those. Um, and it was amazing how small those heads were, but Mizuno made this driver and I ended up buying it because, you know, we had this, uh, guy on our team named Frederick, who was from Sweden. He was a foreign exchange student. Um, he's kind of a jackass, but he was a good golfer. 
And he had a Mizuno driver. And basically, what the way they did their shafts back in those days, this would have been roughly 89, 90, around that time. Uh, their shafts were basically rated from a 1 to a 10. And so 10 was the stiffest. 1 is, you know, with the most uh, flexibility. And, you know, I had got a stiff shaft in my burner plus. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to get, like, I'm going to get a nine. I could not hit this thing straight for, to save my life. Uh, but I remember, you know, playing, uh, we're playing Clear Lake, just like you'd mentioned. And it was number, well, I say if we're going to do it the new way, number 12, kind of a dog leg par four. Right there, you know the whole right before the last. That's when my dad hit a house. Is on 12. yeah, yeah. So I went the other way, and I into that into that creek or whatever no, that was on the right side. No, I didn't go that far right. Um, so I just went just a little right of the cart path. Okay, there's trees up there, uh, not a ton, but there's a little bit of blockage. And I walked down to my ball with this Mizuno. I'm freaking hundred yards out. And we're playing for the tips on that hole. And I was like, damn, I got like a less than a wedge into this thing. And that's a hole where routinely back when we were playing it with the equipment we had, I mean, you'd be routinely, because I remember that hole played by about 420, I want to say, for the tips, roughly, if, I, if memory serves. I mean, we're, we're hitting typically our drives. We'd be going about 250. So you got 170 into the green. I mean, that's back in those days, like maybe a seven iron if you're good. Right. And so I hit this Mizuno and this Mizuno, I mean, that thing and, and the head, because what it was is the head, the steel was just so much stronger. Than anything that was had, that was out in those days, and it wish it made me wish that I had gotten one with a shaft of like maybe an eight instead of a nine, because I, I was just struggling to you know to whip it through uh, because the staff is so shit, uh, stiff. But if I had had an eight, where it would have been probably perfect for me, I mean I could have been bombing at two eighty two ninety back in those days, and and that would have made me the longest probably on our team at the time if I had been able to control it. And it just goes to show you the, it's just so important to get the right shaft, to get fit into the right club. Um, for me personally, it's, it's something I've done to myself and I've tinkered and I know what I need, but if you're not out there all the time, if you're not someone who knows a lot about equipment, who hasn't, as you said, you don't look at golf stuff until you need it. So you don't know what's out there. You don't know what the new stuff plays at. And it, it's going to be very beneficial for you uh, to go in and, and to get those numbers. And then, you know, we could take those numbers and if they've got something in the store, that's a good fit. Fantastic. If not, we'll find what you need on eBay. We'll find it on marketplace. We'll look at some of the used stores here, but it's, it's just beneficial to know that, you know, I need this flex. I need something on this weight. I need, uh, this degree of driver, you know, it needs to be this long, things like that. So I'm really excited to see what they come up with for you, Scott, and to see, um, that that transformation of the golf bag as we we get you closer to respectability again. So one um, one golf note before we enter into you know any other discussions on any other sports, which I I know uh, one sport's going to dominate the conversation here towards the end. 
did you have a chance to catch Rory McIlroy's comments lately? Was it the ones about how he would be happy if he uh, never won again and, and he would retire? Or is it his ones as he's cooling off towards live? Because he's he's made both here in the last week or so. Well, it was more about the live because I think finally, I think he got fed up. And so somebody asked him, you know, if you had a crystal ball, where do you think the game of golf is in three years? And he just, his only answer is, I don't have any crystal balls. That was it. Uh, and I think he's, he's kind of fed up with it, you know, and, and I, and I kind of get it from, from his standpoint. And, you know, I kind of get, you know, I, I hope that he's not giving up uh, because yeah, I think Rory is good for the game of golf overall, but, and I don't know when that age is, but there's always that age where guys suddenly, they, they're not, they're not one of the top 10 in the world anymore probably never going to be again i mean phil milkelson's kind of it's kind of you know delayed that clock but for most of these guys it's when they enter their early to mid 40s and suddenly they're just you know for whatever reason they just they can't keep up anymore they can still be competitive they just not going to win you know at a high level and, and hopefully in his case I mean, he's been around a while I mean, I think Roy McIlroy is older than a lot of people realize he is because he's he's been he's been you know pretty a mainstay in the game of golf for well over a decade, and you just kind of hope for his sake that you know he still has a few years left. I think that's a really it's a two prong question, or at least a, a two prong response, right? I'll take first the the part about Roy kind of maybe taking a step back on on being the vocal spokesperson against Liv that he was. I think he's tired. You know, I think that this this process in the last year has really taken a lot out of him. I think if you look at the the tournament schedule that he and Tiger worked for this year uh, with the designated events, it's it's been an exhausting schedule. And in fact, he he missed more than you're supposed to to the point where he's going to pay a fine for missing one of those designated events. So I think he's tired. I think he's exhausted. I think it's taken focus away from his actual golf game, uh, having to be the, the vocal spokesperson that he was. And I think he's he's just over that. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like he's seeing maybe the fruits of his labor as far as, you know, on the perspective of live. I, I think financially, yeah, the, the tour players got that extra money and they got the designated tournaments, but but Liv's still going on. These guys are still playing in majors. They're still doing their thing. They're still being the spectacle that they are. So at this point, why do I want to keep out every tournament answering questions about Liv and and, and having to be that, that vocal person for the whole tour? I, I could see why he doesn't want to do that. Um, as far as him being able to compete, I think what you're seeing is father time. You know, it's, it's a combination of, of two things. Number one, you can't practice as much at 35 as you could at 25. Your body just physically won't let you sit out there and grind on the range the same way that you were. Or even like for me, I've noticed I can't practice putting as long as I used to because I can't bend over in that putting position as long as I want to. I can't putt, I can't putt for a straight hour anymore because my back hurts. It's just part of growing old. Add that with having kids and other demands of being a dad and family time. And all of a sudden, the amount of time that you were able to dedicate to your game goes from 
six hours a day to four hours a day. Those extra two hours make a difference. Now, these guys are talented enough and they're good enough that they're still going to be competitive. They're still going to be good. And they're still going to have weeks where things click and they win. But being that top 10 force week in and week out, that's it's really hard to maintain that level of play without literally just living at a golf course. And that's hard to do when you're a dad. May I introduce you to my friend, the Long John Putter? That might help with some of those back issues. It's never going to happen, Scott. I have have too much respectability for myself to ever go down that road. Oh, brother. You know, what's funny, my my long john putter actually used to be longer. Uh, We had had to cut it down because it it just wouldn't fit, you know, anywhere we're putting it. But, you know, looking up Rory's age, he just recently turned 34. Um. I think the game of golf is just so different now. Uh, last week, Tim was mentioning our amateur shot 62, had to uh, DQ himself. But guys are getting better, younger and younger and younger. I mean, you've got high school kids shooting in the 60s. That never happened when I was in high school. I never was at any tournament where somebody broke 70. Never happened. Um, that happened. That happened when I was in school. But that's we had guys shot in the high sixties. But we like there was a couple legit phenoms at Creek when I was uh, when I was in high school that like consistently lived under par. So you know, but you know, remember we're you know Tim and I are separated in teams in terms of our graduation by exactly fifteen years. In fact, our thirtieth reunion is this summer. So I'm kind of looking forward to that, you know, kind of seeing some folks. But in the span of 15 years, that's how much the game of golf grew. Now, by my math, Tim's been out of school for exactly 15 years. So, gee, thanks for that. (laughs) Well, if I feel old, misery loves company, my friend. So that's, that's where we're at, right? Uh, but no, but the game of golf has just grown that much more just since Tim has been out of, of high school. So, and then, and so I, I'm wondering whether that's what's going to happen with these pros is whether, you know, when we consider a golfer over the hill in my youth, you're in your early forties, you're practically almost in your prime. I don't think that's true anymore. And I think it's, it's, true um it's true for the reasons that tim said so that physically it's just harder and a lot of it is that the swings are so different because the swings are generating so much more torque and they're generating so much more club head speed that i mean it's just physically taxing number one and i think number two he mentioned you know all the things different things that happen in life that are going to pull you away from the golf course and that might be where Rory was mentioning where, you know, his more contented feelings, because, you know, Rory's made more money than he or his family will ever know what to do with, uh, unless he gambles it away like John Daly or something like that. He's, I mean, he's really set for the rest of his life. So then it's just a question of how badly do I want to do this? I don't know if you remember a golfer named Bruce Litsky. Uh, Light. The name sounds familiar. It's probably a little bit before my time of, of paying attention. He didn't win any majors, but they, they used to call him a legend in his spare time. 
because he would play at only like 10 or 15 events every year because he just, he had a life and, you know, he did other things, but he was such a good golfer that he was always competitive in those 10 or 15 events. And so, you know, he wasn't winning multiple events a year, but he would come out every year with like maybe five or six top tens, which, you know, with the money that's being thrown around on tour, you know, if you count your endorsements and you count, you know, all that stuff, that's a pretty damn good living. Um, you know, it, it even, you know, today you got to imagine if you could run out there and you could get five top 10 finishes, you, you probably win over a million dollars in earnings easily, especially if you're pay, playing the full slate of like 25, 30 events. I mean, that's just, you know, you're, you're, even if you don't have any top tens, I mean, you're, you're, you could get close to a million dollars just, you know, consistently making cuts and, and, and getting checks. But that's a grinding. I don't know how, you know, how many years you could do that. You know, Tiger never even did that. Tiger would take a lot of time off. It was one of the things here in Houston people would hate because he would never come to the Houston Open because the Houston Open was just, just not played at a time when he needed to get, you know, revved up for a major. Now, the Houston Open's moved different parts of the calendar, different things like that. They've moved different golf courses. But, you know, we didn't see Tiger Woods during his prime uh, because he just was very selective about the events that he wanted to play in. So, you know, that's probably where Rory is getting to. He can't afford, you know, his body can't make it through 30 events a year. So he's going to be a little bit more judicious in the tournaments that he plays in. Um, I'm, I'm sure he's going to, you know, practice just so he's, you know, stays good at golf. But is he going to be maniacal about being the best player in the world? Maybe not. And, you know, I guess that's okay. You mentioned, you know, still making a good living, even if you were not having a great season, right? Um, if you were the hundredth ranked person on the money list last year, that's before the prizes went up like they did this year. You made $982,754 in prize money alone. That doesn't include any of your sponsorships or anything else. So you were essentially a millionaire for being the 100th best player on the PGA Tour. Nothing, yeah. Nothing to spit at. Yeah, it's absolutely lucrative to be out there. Uh, the PGA Tour average was $1.4 million in prize money. Uh, Joel, Joel Damon who was heavily featured in full swing as he called himself the, why can't someone be the 70th ranked player in the world? He considers himself Mr. Average on tour. He made $1.436 million last year. So um, then you look at the guy who was number one on the money list. John Rahm made $14.4 million last year. So money's lucrative. You're absolutely right. Um, But yeah, it's a taxing schedule. Roy's got a newborn a new family man. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him turn it back and just play the designated events. You know, that's the way the calendar is set up. It's what these guys push for. Um, I think we'll see Roy compete, but I think you're going to see golf primes move up in, in people's life. It's going to be that 27 to 32 range, just like it is in all other sports. Now, you know, there used to be a time where the baseball prime was, was early to mid thirties. Now it's 28, 26, 27 is when you start your prime in baseball. We've just gotten better um, at getting guys prepared at a younger age to be able to succeed right away. 
it took golf a little bit longer to catch up, but I think that's just because it, it took golf a little bit longer to be cool for kids. Um, you know, at, at the time that, you know, John Daly and Jack Nicholas and all those guys are coming up, how many of them didn't pick up a golf club and they were, until they were 15, 16, 17 years old? Uh, when now kids are playing, you know, I work with first tee kids who are 10 years old. Uh, I got a seventh grader I work with who can break 90. And so it's, it's impressive what's happening in the junior golf ranks right now. And, you know, this next, this next crop that's coming up, they're going to be great too. And so I, I think it's going to be a lot harder, Scott, to keep your card on tour past the age of 35 than it's ever been before. I think that's because of the, of the young talent we have coming up. These guys come out of college ready to win. They come out ready to play. And it, it, you didn't have to bounce around on the mini tours the way that you once did if you were a top-level college player. You don't have to show up and find your way for a couple years on tour before you're ready to win. You know, you got guys like Colin Morikawa, like like Will Zalatoris that are coming out of college ready to dominate on day one. And so it's going to be tougher for these guys to keep their cards on the back age of 35 than it's ever been before. All right. I hate to do a hard transfer, but uh, as you're listening to this program on Thursday of a Tuesday night, the fate of the Rockets future was cast. And as we predicted, whenever we had Brandon Scott on, your Houston Rockets are not going to get not going to get the great Frenchman. Uh, they, in fact, will not get any of those top three players, which I think are pretty consensus, uh, those top three. Your Houston Rockets get the fourth pick in the NBA draft. So a couple of things that we need probably need to react to. Uh, number one, we need to react to that, you know, kind of the, the sobering news, you know, where does that put the Rockets? Uh, need to react to probably what we've kind of been seeing in the NBA playoffs, maybe, particularly with maybe one future Rocket who uh, just got bounced out of the playoffs. So we'll start with the draft lottery. I know you had some strong feelings. So, you know, what would you like to share with the audience here? Strong feelings is, is an absolute understatement. I, Literally almost lost control of my vehicle as the pick was announced. Uh, I had it up on ESPN listening live and they, you know, they did the 15, uh, you know, the, the, the first half of the draft, they just released all at once. Okay. We avoided that. We're in the top. We got top four pick. Here we go. And they go, all right, let's do the top four picks picking fourth. And right away, Houston, Houston Rockets. Ice cream. Fuck at the top of my lungs, punch in air. Because it's the worst position to be in. You're right. The top three picks are defined. You've got Victor Wambaya. Uh, you've got Scoot Henderson. And then you've got the controversial Brandon Miller, who we've talked about before. You know, those those three guys are are pretty set. I'm, I'm, I don't want Brandon Miller. So, you know, being a number three to me is no different than being number four. Um, I'm not happy. I'm not pumped. We'll talk about it later in my, you know, this little forecast for my scumbag section. Um, and, and I'll talk about why later. But, you know, now now putting on that GM hat, I, I talked earlier in our show a few weeks ago about what happens if we don't get that pick uh, when, Brandon's, when Brandon was on. And, and I said Jairus Walker was the guy. If you don't get a top three pick, 
You go get, you know, the impact player, Jairus Walker. He's the fifth ranked prospect in the draft right now. You still have the 20th pick. Um, you know, the uh, to me right now, there's a chance the Rockets could come away with with two Houston Cougars, and and that's my hope. Maybe that they they find a way to get um, to get Jairus Walker and Marcus Sassers is all that I'm holding out for. The, the Texans kept a Cougar at home. Maybe the Rockets could do the same thing. That that's about all I'm holding out for at this point because we're not going to get that generational player. Um, we're just not going to get the generational player at number four. It, it's not the class for that. And it just, it's, it's disappointing. You know, I kind of, you know, my hope is, and you have your, your Cougs. I have my Horned Frogs. And so, you know, what I'm kind of hoping for is, have you ever heard a guy named Desmond Bain? I have not, no. He is basically, well, probably at the start of the NBA season, will be the best player on the Grizzlies. Uh, who actually gets to play. And, and I'm kind of forecasting my own kind of thing down there. So we'll, we'll just leave that aside. But he's a guy that he wasn't even the best player on TCU's team. And he just, I don't know if he was a first-round pick. He may have been a second-round pick. But you know, kind of like you know a Chandler Parsons back in the day. Where you know, you picked a guy and you're just like, oh, we hope he's good. And Chandler Parsons, at least for the first few years, was really good. You know, with the Rockets. Yeah, when he still had two knees, Chandler Parsons was a was a very good basketball player. And that's what you're kind of hoping for. You're you're hoping for a very good basketball player. Um, I did look up, you know, because I, I wanted once I found out we were the fourth pick, I kind of wanted to see where some different uh, mock drafts had slayed in that slot. And the problem is, is that the mock drafts that were going, they were going assuming like they, they assumed Detroit would be the first pick. They assumed Houston would be the second pick. The Spurs would be the third pick. And obviously that order was all shot to hell. So the guy they had fourth, who knows whether that guy is actually even going to be on a rocket side. I, I really didn't commit him to memory, but I do remember your Coog. They had him ranked sixth on the site that I was looking at. I've got him uh, fifth on a couple different ones here, going to the Pistons and a, a mock draft that came out after the um, draft releases. He's, he's, they've got him going fifth to the Pistons. I, I think he's a better fit for us. They've got the Rockets taking Amen Thompson, who's a six. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I remember because these the twins, right? Yeah, and they were debating about which twin you know that would go to the Rockets. And the thing is, is that, and I don't know how you feel about this. Because one of the things I've noticed in recent years is that there have been, you know, especially starting with like Jalen Green, there's been more and more picks coming out of the NBA DL. And I don't know how these guys do compared to your major college programs. Because, you know, the thing is, you're talking about a guy from U of H. I mean, uh, he's played in some pretty big ball games at the university at, at college level. He's been in the tournament multiple times. Uh, they've, they've advanced to the tournament, you know, uh, obviously they advanced further last year than they did this year, but you know, he's been in the final four. So, you know, I don't know how do you, in your mind, cause I'm not a huge basketball fan, but in your mind, how do you view like the NBA DL guys versus you know, your major college prospects? 
I think it's it's too early to tell on how well that works. I think we had we just haven't had enough guys do it. I don't think it's that big of a deal because you're you're playing against grown men. You're playing against NBA prospects for the most part. I I think the difference is coaching. I, I think uh, a lot of these G League coaches they don't put the emphasis on defense for sure. I don't know if you've ever been to a G League game, but they are fast paced and high scoring. Uh, I go to I go to like two or three Legends games a year which is the Mavericks G League team. It's your local. It's a fun time. It's a great $10 ticket. You really can't beat it. But these teams aren't hardly – they're not coached hard. You know, they're not getting the Kelvin Sampson treatment that you would get at the University of Houston. So I think the game is more raw, and I think they're lacking some of the fundamentals that you would have if you were a guy who – Let's use Houston. If you played at UH, you're going to be a fundamentally sound ball player by the time Kelvin Sampson gets done with you. But I do think there's the advantage of you've been a pro for a year. I think there's an advantage of um, you know you know what it's like to have to prepare yourself every day to play and and not um, have to deal with being a, a student athlete versus you've been a full time athlete. So I think that's a benefit. I just I think these guys are a little bit more raw. And I think it's it's kind of a little bit harder to judge some of of the tape because there's just there's just a real lack of defense played in the G League. It is it is a high scoring league with with very little defense played, and so it just makes the evaluation process a lot tougher. So, um, and and, a, what, and the funny thing about looking at these college, and I think what people don't understand is how different the college game is than the I mean, pro game. Real, real quick. I mean, it's to me, I look at it, Scott is if you're a baseball scout, um, it, it's like if, if, what if you didn't go to college and you went to the American association of professional baseball first, you just said, I'm not going to play college ball. I'm going to go play indie <laughs> ball first. Would, would, would you be judged any differently? You would, but it, you know, I'm still putting tape out there. I'm putting tape out there with a wooden bat against guys who have maybe been to the big league. So it's just different tape. I think it's, I think at the end of the day, it's just different. I don't necessarily know if it's it's better or worse. I think with college uh, with college basketball, I think what makes it so different is the shot clock, and it used to be forty five seconds. You know, back when I was a kid, it, let me tell you, that was that, it's brutal. It was that was brutal. painful to watch, but now it's thirty five seconds. And so when you look at these prospects, what's so funny is, is that you look at guys and they, they, you'll see them, and you and you look at the mock drafts average 12 points a game or 16 points a game. You're like, we're picking this guy fourth overall, but it's a wholly different game. Uh, that's why Brandon Miller, I think is so different. Uh, obviously there's reasons not to like him, you know, off the court, but I mean, he's routinely putting in 20 plus points. That's what makes him kind of a different level of prospect. Than some of these guys, because you look at these guys, particularly like U of H, you know, Kelvin Sampson, what is he known for? He's known for hard-nosed defense. His teams are great defensive teams. So, I mean, you're scoring 60, 70 points in a college game. There's just not that many points to go around. And a lot of these pro games, particularly the Rockets, you know, teams are scoring 120 points. I mean, that's double the points in some cases. So, I mean, a guy that scores 12 a game, and that's where Desmond Bain, I was mentioning his his name. It's amazing how many times you look at like a Memphis Grizzlies box score and he's pumping up 20 points. You're like, I never saw this at TCU. Where the hell did this come from? But it's just different. 
Um, now, kind of shift over to another Rockets. And, and I know we're kind of skirting on scumbaggery here, but James Harden, our, fam- our, our favorite former Rocket, his 76ers are out. And this is something I learned today that I, I didn't know. Did you know that Doc Rivers, as a coach, has lost 10 Game 7s? I knew it was a lot. Doc Rivers has been living off of his time with the Boston Celtics for so long. He had like a really good first year in Boston, and he has coasted off of that. He choked away... God knows how many clinchers in L.A. with the Clippers. He's choked away golden opportunities with the 76ers. He choked away opportunities with that Boston Celtics team. He is highly overrated. Well, now he's unemployed. So um, I don't know how overrated he is. But see, and here's where, so what happens with 76ers, 76ers, and this is a story we've heard before in Houston. We've heard this many times. 76ers go up three games to two on Boston. Ah, you're looking pretty good, right? He and Joel Embiid, they lay absolute eggs in game six and seven. It just, it was, it was dreadful. Particularly game seven, they were just non-competitive. Uh, and so kind of the question is, Number, you know, number one, you know, how much blame are we going to put on each party? Uh, it was noted that Joel Embiid is the only league MVP to have never made it to a conference finals. Um, maybe that changes with a new coach in, in Philly. I don't know. But what portion of blame do you put on Embiid, Harden, and then Rivers? I'm going to start the blame with someone you didn't even mention. And that's going to be a guy I used to have a lot of respect for, but I, I now think he's an overrated guy too. It's Daryl Morey. Um, at, at this juncture, Daryl Morey has had 10 years to put a championship team around James Harden. He had, say, seven years in, in Houston and, and three years in Philly or eight years in Houston, two in Philly. But either way, if anybody should know what James Harden needs to be successful in the NBA, it's Daryl freaking Morey. You've had enough time with this guy to know what the formula is for James Harden, what he needs around him to be successful. And you saw it time and time again in Houston. I never thought they put the proper roster around James Harden. And then you saw it there in, in, in Philadelphia. Again, I don't think they had enough three-point shooting on that, on that team for James Harden to be successful. So... I mean, you can you can say it's on James, but James does so much throughout the whole season um, that it just seems he runs out of gas in the playoffs when he doesn't get the calls uh, and, and things don't go his way. Everybody likes to blame James Harden, but I don't think it's James. I really don't. I don't I'd take. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'll take James Harden back in a heartbeat here. And I, I think with the right roster, James Harden could could go win a title for you. But you've got to got to get the ball out of his hand all the time. He is one of the highest usage players in the NBA. He has the ball in his hand a ton, and you've got to find a way to rein that back in because James Harden doing everything for you, the guy's going to run out of gas. 
And it's it's surpri- it's it's just asinine to me that after all this time, Daryl Morey still hasn't figured out how to put an effective roster around James Harden. I certainly buy that, um, and I, I think I think you're right about Doc Rivers. I think you know the fact that he's just he just you know, his teams come up small, and when you do that in multiple places, it's not about players anymore i mean when it happens in boston it happens in la it happens in philadelphia it's you <laughs> you know that, that's but i think uh there is something i mean i think harden does deserve criticism for the fact of what has happened to him in game sevens uh, i do agree with you that it's certainly not all his fault i don't even know if most of it's his fault but you know eventually you just you have to do it you know you you either have to and it's kind of the same thing with chris paul you know if chris paul's healthy phoenix is probably in the western conference finals but chris paul isn't healthy during the phoenix series and you can look around and say like gee how many times has chris paul not been healthy it's kind of the same sort of deal um i think i would love to have Harden back in, in Houston because he is just an incredibly entertaining player to watch. What worries me is exactly what you just said, and that is he needs shooters. And the Rockets roster right now, they don't got it. They just don't got it. And sure, you have $60 million to spend, but, you know, that money is going to go quickly. You know, especially if you, you bring in Harden. Harden's like, what do you think about a forty million dollar year guy? You know, I think so. I think I've seen some talk of maybe a sign and trade is how you get him, so that way you can save some of that cap space and still go get some other guys. But yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take thirty five forty million dollars a year to go get James Harden, and then you're gonna need to get, uh, you know, everyone talks about getting Brown from Boston. That's another thirty million dollars right there. So There's you're expecting, cap. yeah, and then you're, I mean, at that point you're expecting um, Green to take a big step forward in his three-point shooting. Uh, you're expecting um, Jabari Smith to take a big step forward in his three-point shooting. And, you know, hopefully if you can go get a guy like Marcus Sasser in the draft, who is who was number one today in the NBA Combine in spot-up mid-range and three-point shooting, he was 20 of 25 from both spots on the court today. Uh, I mean, he was the number one shooter in camp. So the guy could shoot. That's a guy that the, the Rockets need to look at because you need shooters. Go get the best shooter that's available in the draft. He's going to be available late in the first round. You've got to pick at number 20. And the NBA the NBA is not like the NFL. You know, there's, there's really no difference between having pick 20 and pick 29. It's a roll of the dice anywhere outside the top 10. So See. if you quote-unquote, reach on a guy who's ranked 32 and you pick him at 20, it's not that big a deal. It's how he plays, but here's the the problem, though, in what you're talking about. In order to get Brown, you're going to need to engineer a trade. Boston's not giving him away. Uh, In fact, I mean, you could argue that Boston is in the position they were in because of the shrewd deals they made when they broke up that trio that was playing for Doc Rivers, you know, way long time ago. You know, your Kevin Garnett's and your uh, and and all those guys. So that's how they got Jalen Brown. That's how they got, you know, Jason Tatum. That's how they got those guys. So who are you going to have to give up to get Jalen Brown? I mean, are you giving up Jalen Green? 
you know, if, if they ask for that? Are you giving up Jalen Green and something else? And you're probably going to have to give up some picks. So let's say that they, let's say that you have to give up, we'll just pretend you're giving up Jalen Green, number four overall, probably another future one. And then, you know, throw in one more rocket, like maybe a Kenyon Martin. Would you make that deal? Do I already have Harden? Yeah, we'll assume so. Then yes. So, if I already have Harden, yes. If not, no. So the thing is, so you have you have Jalen Brown and you have James Harden, which I think is a really good one-two punch. Really good one-two punch. Are they the best one and two punch in the NBA? Yeah, I, I don't know about that. No, but you compare you pair Harden with Sangoon, who's a fantastic off the ball center. Uh, if you can still hang on to Jabbar Smith, okay. You know now you've got a guy who can stretch the floor at the at the four position a little bit and shoot the rock. You bring in again. I'm going to keep hitting Marcus Sasser because I think that's the best player the Rockets can get late in the first round. You bring in a guy like that who could shoot. Um, you still got Kevin Porter Jr. coming off the bench. I, I, I think that's a pretty formidable playoff roster. It's at least a 5-6 seat in the West. Yeah, so I, I think all of that's going to depend, again, exactly on who are you giving up and who does Boston want. And, and that's and, you know, and, and the question is, if, if Jalen Brown wants out of Boston, Boston needs to trade Jalen Brown. They just don't necessarily need to trade him to Houston. So now the question is, who is going to offer Boston what they want? And, you know, do we have enough, you know, of what they would want for him to come here? And now certainly Jalen Brown could exert some influence because we know the NBA players do this. And so if he really, really, really wanted to be with James in Houston, really wanted to be with his old coach, you know, he could probably exert some pressure there. But if you're Boston, if you're Brad Stevens, you know, I'm looking around the NBA and I'm sitting there saying, okay, who's got the best package? You know, and I don't know if that's necessarily Houston. And, you know, the other part is, is that I think you're absolutely, I think you're, you're right on the money with where they would wind up in the West. I think five, six seed would probably be right around where I'd put them to. But th- that doesn't make you a title contender. What you need is you need multiple shooters. The idea of a sasser, I love it. If I mean, if he's a great shooter, you need more than that. And so maybe you know, if you could get a couple of guys to come in like on a veteran minimum deal, that would be nice. You know, maybe some of the you know maybe some of the better shooters. You just we have to shoot the ball better. I mean, that's just that, that is, is all it comes down to. I mean, uh, Harden's a great passer, but if the guys you know, are not knocking down shots, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, you've got to have somebody to hit shots, and that's that was the Rockets' bugaboo for years when they had James Harden. When you're when you're signing guys like Corey Frickin' Brewer to a extension because he had one hot streak during the playoffs, and he had two two years of bad three point shooting. Same for Josh Smith; he got hot during the playoffs, then he had another year of bad three point shooting after that. Um, you know, it goes on and on with with. Um, you know Garcia. Uh, they had Garcia was a was the wing at one point. They had Carlos Delphi. They had all sorts of guys. They were just trying to find lightning in a bottle with some three point shooting for James Harden. And 
it just never materialized until uh, really, I guess the one year in, in 2018 where the Rockets really had a good chance where they, they had just a ton of good shooting and positionless defenders. And, and of course, Chris Paul gets hurt in game six, game five and, and the rest is history. But yeah, you've got to, you've got to put this team together smartly. You've got money to spend. You've got a legitimate head coach here. Um, you know, up until today, the reports were that Harden wanted to come back home. And so let's make it happen. You know, I, I miss being a fan of Rockets basketball again. And I miss, I wouldn't say I'm not a fan. I miss being able to watch exciting Rockets basketball again, because this team is not fun to watch. It hasn't been in a long time. I'm excited for the coach. Uh, I, I think the product will be better next year, regardless of Harden coming back home or not. But but the moment you get James Harden in the house, you're a playoff team again. And it's it's that simple. So build around him. Get somebody young who could learn from him. Sasser's a guy who I think can play a lot like Steph Curry down the line. Um, you know, let that guy learn from James Harden. Let him learn a little bit on how to run an offense. And then, you know, Harden can play off the ball too. We saw it with Chris Paul here. Harden can play off the ball. You can run two point guards out there. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do. Really hope, really hope James decides to come home. You know, I don't know about uh, Steph Curry. I think that might be maybe a way too uh, ambitious. I just think that's his that's his style. The way he pulls up, he shoots. He's he's got a similar view of the court. I, I just I watched a lot of UH basketball, and Sasser will pull up and not if you give space, he'll pull up from anywhere. The same way that Steph Curry will. Maybe you know, maybe his brother like Seth Curry. You know, maybe that's a that's unfair uh, to, to Marcus. Well, you know, Seth Curry's had, you know, a lengthy NBA career. So, I mean, I guess we shouldn't, you know, go uh, diss on him too much. There, you know. I think you're lucky I'm not breaking out the comparison to former great Clyde Drexler. I'd be like, he's like, he's like the other cougar Clyde Drexler out there. <laughs> I mean, that could have gone that way. Yeah, a little Homerism there. Um, I mean, I, I, hey, like I said, Desmond Bain, low round, uh, low first round pick, I think by Memphis and all of a sudden he's Memphis's second best guy. So, you know, a lot of it is, and that's the funny thing we talked about the NFL draft in the last episode. I don't care where you pick a guy. Is he a good basketball player? Is he going to be a good basketball player for your team? If, you know, if some, you know, Mel Kuyper Jr. esque wannabe says that he should be a second rounder and you pick him in the first round, what do we care? You know, if he comes in and produces, it doesn't matter. All right. So I think we're getting to that kind of time in the show where, you know, we, we've been talking about the association here for a while. So we're probably going to be sticking along those lines. Tim's got, you know, so he, he kind of alluded to it earlier. What's sticking in your craw this week, Tim? My scumbag this week is the lottery balls themselves, Scott. The balls that continually bounce, not the Rockets way. I'm tired of it. You know, since Harden has left, we have had a top one or two worst record in the NBA every single year. We've played for the lottery, and every single year we've come up short. This is, by my count, we missed out on Cade Cunningham. We missed out last year on um, uh, Banchero. And now we missed out this year on Victor Wambaya. I, I'm tired of it. You know, like, at least with the Astros, that losing paid off. We got Carlos Correa. 
we got Alex Bregman. We got Kyle Tucker. We got pieces from the draft, and we knew the losing was worth it. We're not getting that with the Rockets. The, the point of losing in the NBA is supposed to get you that generational talent. I took a moment to bang on Morey earlier for not being able to surround James Harden with talent, but at least what Daryl Morey did to be able to rebuild the Rockets without ever bottoming out, the guy never had a record below 500 in his time in Houston. His worst record here was 41-41 and 41 with Goran Dragic leading the way. So the fact that the Rockets have completely gutted the team, bottomed out, and they still can't even get a top pick, man, I'm over these damn lottery balls. You know, it's funny the way the way that Maury did it, and I think this is the way the Rockets going to have to do it, is that you, you just have to be ready, read the tea leaves, and you take advantage of a bad situation. And, you know, for instance, you know, Jalen Brown wanting out of Boston. You know, maybe that's a situation that you could take advantage of. You know, that's uh, – and what really, you know, what really is so disheartening about – the way the draft lottery process works. See, can you remember when was the last time San Antonio won the draft lottery? Who when did... they drafted David Robinson. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh no, maybe Tim uh, Tim Duncan. Yeah, Tim. they had one bad year where Robinson missed the whole year. Then yeah. they get Tim Duncan. Then they get the years of Robinson and Duncan together. It's 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 bullshit. Well, basically, what they have done, and, and this to use an NFL analogy, they have Indianapolis Colts their way <laughs> into into you know two you know generational players, and now they're getting a third. It's just uh, you know unbelievable, because you know let's say the Rockets win the lottery last year, Sponchero anywhere near the French LeBron? No. Most most draft analysts, I mean, I heard uh, Wojnowski today say, like, he's the best draft prospect ever. Now, hyperbole, sure. I, I, don't, I don't think you could ever, you know, you could say that. But, guy, you got a seven foot four, plays like a wing, can shoot, handle, defend. You know, anything you want a basketball player to do, this guy's going to do it. So, you know, let's say we win the draft lottery the year before. Cade Cunningham. Uh, so, yeah. Now, speaking of unfortunate situations, time for my scumbag this week. My scumbag is none other than Ja Morant. I mentioned that Desmond Bain might be the best player on the Grizzlies next year. Well, there's a reason for that, and that is because John Morant has been suspended indefinitely from the NBA pending an investigation. So what is he being investigated for, you might ask? Well, seems that he brandished a gun on Instagram Live. Funny, but earlier in the year, he got suspended for eight games. What did he get suspended? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, that's right. For brandishing a gun at Instagram Live. So what does he do? He gets psychological counseling. He gets this. He goes on an interview with Jalen Rose. And he says, oh, I've learned my lesson. I'm never going to do this again. 
And we're not even done with the season. And what is he doing? He's doing this again. And, you know, on some level, this is just incredibly sad. Uh, he just recently, just this year, he signs a max deal extension. So, you know, that's upwards of almost $200 million. He's got, you know, a massive shoe contract with Nike. Who who knows how much that thing's worth? You know, he's got any and all of his level you know, endorsements that, you know, who knows, you know, how much he's making in those, you know, those dollars. Plus, he's just one of the top 10 overall talents in the NBA. And quite frankly, there's a possibility if this, you know, he continues going down this road that, you know, he's not going to be playing basketball much longer, you know, just in general. Uh, you know, the NBA, they could void his contract, you know, if, if he gets in you know, serious legal trouble. Nike may have already dropped him as a client. Uh, any of all of his other endorsers are, you know, probably going to be you know, not that far behind. They're going to leave him be. And all because he wants to, you know, show off and brandish a gun on Instagram. Now, this is one of the things we t- Tim and I talked about earlier. This is, you know, just crazy to me that, you know, we talked about how James Harden likes to go out. He likes to party. He likes to go to the clubs. And that's fine. You know, to me, if you're a James Harden or you're one of those guys, you know, that you're making $30, $40 million a year, it, it, it would not be completely, you know, out of whack for you to pay a million or two million dollars a year for your own private security detail team. You know, hey, have two or three guys around you that, you know, whenever you want to go to the club, hey, they come with you. If anybody needs to pack heat, you know, we in Texas, we know, hey, you know, everybody can pack the heat in Texas. You know, let those guys pack the heat. If anybody wants to step up on you, they're not getting anywhere near you. Because, you know, somebody in that security details taking care of them. So, you know, you can do whatever you want. People won't hassle you. And, and I get it. You know, uh, people who are famous, they don't they don't want people hassling them all the time. And, and, and I understand that. But you can't, you can't brandish a gun if you're in a position like John Morant. You just can't. And, you know, you, especially after you get caught doing it before you know, less than a year later, you know, what are you doing? It's just absolutely, absolutely nuts. So, you know, John Moran is crazy. I know uh, Tim earlier has mentioned, I'm just going to kind of go a secondary scumbag where, you know, we've been talking about NBA media and how, you know, the the story, you know, pretty much from the beginning of the year until now has been that, you know, James Harden is going to want to go play for, you know, the Houston Rockets. Then, you know, lately there's, they said that he's going to want to go play for the Phoenix Suns, which seems kind of nuts because the Phoenix Suns have Chris Paul, who he didn't really get along with. They have Kevin Durant, who, you know, he was with in New Jersey and things didn't happen. Uh, 
So, you know, kind of catch up Tim here. I talked about John Morant, who is my, you know, my sports scumbag. And he kind of mentioned NBA media, how, you know, they've been kind of shifting where they think James Harden is going to be ending up kind of as a secondary scumbag. But here's my question. So in, in the old Daryl Morey style, Daryl Morey would take advantage of a situation like John Morant because John Morant in almost all certainty is going to be suspended for my guess is a minimum of about half of the next NBA season. So let's, let's say Memphis were to come to you and say, we'll give you John Morant for Jalen Green straight up. You take that pick? You take that trade? I think I do. I Only because of John Lucas. I feel like we've got the one guy who does such a good job of, of helping young basketball players be better off the court. And so I, I feel like the talent is so much that if you could pair him with, with John Lucas, that maybe you can, you could really get something special. Maybe I'm wrong in that, but it, I, I just have that faith in, in John Lucas with, with what he's done in the past that um, I don't know. I feel like maybe you could catch lightning in a bottle there. Because I think, I mean, I think John Morant, if you take away his legal and, and stupidity issues, is definitely a top 10 talent in the league. No questions asked. Top 10 talent. Uh, my question is, though, since we've kind of changed coaching staffs, is John Lucas definitely going to be a part of this organization moving forward? I haven't really heard anything. I mean, I think he certainly makes sense. I mean, you, you could claim that you know he's responsible for Kevin Porter Jr. you know being at least a you know serviceable human being and therefore becoming a better basketball player you know, since he came over from Cleveland. Uh, I like John Lucas. I love you know his message and I love you know who he is. I don't know. I mean this is one of those things where you know if you're you know, Idake, you want you know, you want your own coaching staff. You want your guys. You know, if he had other choices of where he could go. So does he definitely want John Lucas on board? I I don't know. It's a good, it's an excellent question. He's still on staff. I mean, he's he's still listed on staff as of right now. So you know, he's John Lucas has survived. I don't know five different coaching changes. I feel like he's been here. Through Adelman, through um, who was the the guy from the Celtics? Um, oh, you uh, mean Kevin McHale? Kevin McHale, uh, D'Antoni, D'Antoni, Silas. Uh, I think he might even have been here for the one before that with uh, my favorite Van he, Gundy. He was not, well. It was funny. He was but, a player assistant. He wasn't like yeah, a coach. He was like a staff member. He was never. Yeah. He was never part of the coaching staff until definitely Silas. 2020 is when he became officially assistant coach. Yeah. So that was Silas. Um, so, you know, Hey, I love it. You know, if he could stay on, I mean, he's a great guy. Uh, okay, so I, I did bring up the uh, NBA media. Uh, you know, it's kind of waffling on where uh, they think James Harden is going to go, mentioning Phoenix, and I, I don't think that makes any sense. Uh, he and Chris Paul famously did not get along. 
why they were here, which is why he had Chris Paul dealt out of Houston. Well, I, I think and, that is uh, the, the, they're banking on Chris Paul being traded out of Phoenix this offseason, and they're going to try and get think they, they're going to get James Harden or Kyrie Irving uh, to come to Phoenix. Well, so let's say they do. Let's you, well, let's say that they're going to do a side of trade. Say like, hey, Seventy Sixers, you can have Chris Paul. You know, did the 76ers want to make that deal? You know, does Daryl Morey want to be, you know, part of the Chris Halton Paul experience again where, you know, maybe he plays 60 games out of 82? Maybe he's healthy for the first round of the playoffs? Second round? Uh, yeah. um, but the other thing is, is that, you know, James was, has been with, with Kevin Durant in Oklahoma City, he's been with the uh, Jersey Nets. He left the New Jersey Nets. He wanted out. So, what? I, I'm I'm not getting it. What What am I missing? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure either. Like, no, it seemed like no one wanted to play with Kyrie in New Jersey. I don't know. The New Jersey was a mess. Maybe it was Ben Simmons was the issue. I don't know. But it didn't work there with those guys. Um, I could see Kyrie. I mean, I could see KD and Harden more than I could see Kyrie and KD. But we'll see. I mean, I uh, I don't know. I really don't know, Scott. But you're definitely right. It, it's too early to be doing this, this speculating already. When We've talked the last four months as the NBA media that Harden was coming back to Houston. And the moment that both the 76ers and the Suns are eliminated, it's uh, Harden could go to the Suns. Like it's it's just it's it's just like the NFL draft, right? Where everything is being talked about for one way, and then two weeks before the draft, here comes the Will Levis could go first overall stories, and we're all like, Where the hell did this come from? You know, it's it's the same thing. It's it's just it's just crap. Well with, crap reporting. With Harden, you know, the funny thing is, is so what you know for right or wrong, Harden's legacy is going to be that maybe one of the top. I don't know. You say maybe one of the top five offensive players this century. You know, easily. You know, uh, everything that you put together, but he's a guy that, for whatever reason, has a bad playoff reputation. Is that deserved? Not completely. If you look at his playoff averages, his playoff averages pretty much mirror his regular season averages. So, you know, you, you want you know, what do you want your guys to do? You want your guys to perform just as well in the playoffs as they do during the regular season. I mean, that happens in any sport. I mean, you look at what uh, where Bagwell Biggio got knocked. Bagwell Biggio got knocked because in October they didn't hit as well as they did during the regular season. But Harden is putting up virtually the same numbers over the course of a full career. The thing is, is that I don't know if, he, if he's going to go ring chasing. I don't know where he goes, where it's guaranteed for him to get that ring. I can't see it. Um, I mean, it, does he fit with Denver? I don't know. Uh is he going to go to the Lakers with an aging LeBron? I I, I don't know. Uh, Phoenix, especially if you ship out Chris Paul, I think you have the same issues in Phoenix that you had before, where you have now three 
really good players, and then the rest of your roster is kind of like, eh. So I could see him wanting to come back to Houston because if he comes back to Houston, nobody's expecting him to win a title. He's not winning a title in Houston, not with the way it's currently you know set up. You give him a Jalen Brown, sure. They're maybe a top four or five seed in the West, but they're not going to be expected to do anything. So then what happens with James Harden? Well, he goes to playoffs. He loses in the first round. Who gives a shit? His team, you know, they weren't supposed to do anything, right? What happens if he gets the second round or a third round or him and Jalen Brown make a magic run to the NBA Finals? That's when the James Harden story begins to change. And so I think if he comes to Houston, the very worst that happens to him is he finishes out his career playing for a good basketball team, not a great one. They might get to the first round of the playoffs, might get bounced. I don't think his you don't think he's played too much longer. I think his career he's probably maybe two, maybe three years at the outset is probably all he's got left. So, hey, come to Houston. It's a town you love. You know you're going to be able, you know, probably to, you know, name your price. You're going to be able to name, like, your conditions, you know, what you're going to be able to do. Uh, You know, maybe you can, you know, work behind the scenes, kind of play marionette, kind of bring in your own guys, you know, as much as the salary cap will allow. But to me... and you, you tell me, I don't know of any spot in the NBA where I could put him on that team and you can sit there and say, it's like KD joining the Warriors. I don't see it. I don't see that automatic title for him. So why go ring chasing when you get bounced from the playoffs and all the people are going to say is, oh, you choked again. Yeah, don't put yourself through that. The only place I can see that would be Damn near for sure, as they could find a way to get him in like Milwaukee and pair him with like Giannis or something like that. But I just, I don't know if they have the cap space to do that. So I think you're right. The best place for his career at this point would be to come home almost like LeBron did, see if you can make something happen late in your career, put together a run. Maybe you get something miraculous. You just catch lightning in a bottle for a season. You get a, you get a ring late in your career and you are a god in the city of Houston at that point. Uh, and that's what I'd like to see for James, but, but we'll see, you know, time will tell. We've got a whole off season. We've got money to spend. We got picks to trade. Um, I'm not happy about where we ended up tonight. I, as always will hate the San Antonio Spurs. There's, there's nothing that will make you hate the Spurs more than moving to San Antonio and spending some time around Spurs fans for a few years. They are the worst. All right, Tim. So I think we've gotten to that point. Um, so things to look forward to next week. Uh, we'll have my club fitting before our show. So, you know, we can uh, kind of throw that out uh, into the, uh, into the ether to kind of see, you know, what goes back there. But I know we have some other show ideas that, you know, we've been kind of tossing around too. So uh, stay tuned. Snap hook fans. Uh, thank you for listening in and look forward to some great things here in the future. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a real, real big week. I've got golf league on Thursday and then Friday is the first home game of the season for uh, the Gallos. Um, very, very excited, scared, nervous, 
uh, all of it put together, anxious, all wrapped into one ball. Um, as I kind of bring my baby to light for everybody to see for the first time of, you know, um, what the last month and a half I've been working towards. Um, and yeah, it's, it's time to actually put it on the pitch and, and see it work. Um, if anybody wants to watch our games, they're going to be available, uh, on the Los Gallos Facebook page, as well as you can find us on, uh, Gallos TV on YouTube. We're going to be, uh, streaming the games there. So I'd love, uh, for any of our Snaphook listeners to, to hop on and, and give us a view of, Worked really hard on, on putting together a good broadcast here. So I did notice, uh, I noticed that you know, on, the, on the Facebook page that you're offering some great promotions for some students and teachers in the area. Uh, I am. I am. You know, Scott, you're a teacher. My wife's a teacher. Um, it's important to me. It, it's absolutely important to me that the teachers have something fun to do this summer with their kids. Uh, and as well as any of the students in the area, we're offering free uh, two free tickets to any home game this season. All you got to do is use the code AISD if you teach or are a student in Arlington ISD or MISD uh, if you are a part of the Mansfield ISD district. And I still offer that suggestion to anybody that mentions scumbag should get some kind of a discount. We'll, we'll, have, to, we'll have to work on that. We'll take care of them. I don't know if I necessarily want a promo code of scumbag on the, uh, <laughs> on the team's website. It'll just have to be like a secret phrase at the door, I think. I'll have to inform the, the high school kids I have working the gate that, hey, if anyone call, if anyone says, uh, hey, scumbag, <laughs> you, you just let them in. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, you, maybe discounted tickets because you know you don't want a whole you know whole free audience. Uh, you know that's that's not making a lot of money for the old soccer team there. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. You know, looking forward to hearing stories about how that opening night goes. Uh, you know, we're definitely rooting for uh, a good experience for you know the soccer fans up there in the Metroplex. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be one of a kind. Um, I keep telling my owner to, to research the name Bill Vec because that is honestly who I'm emulating. Um, I'm putting in some selfie cams, um, behind the goals. And I am encouraging all of our players that after they score to go pose in front of the selfie cams, um, because I want some good social media content. If we get fined, I'll pay the fine. I don't care. Give me some good content. All right. Uh, just a word of advice: you probably want to avoid disco demolition night. Just, a, just a suggestion. I was thinking ten cent beer, though. Have you ever heard of a negative consequence of only charging ten cents for a beer? I haven't. Uh, okay. So my dad went uh, with some teacher friends uh, to the Astrodome when they had nickel beer night. And, you know, this is back in the 60s, so obviously money's a little bit different. So, But one of them apparently just, you know, throws down a dollar. It's bringing back 20 beers. Uh, one of his teacher friends may or may not have thrown beer on Rusty Staub, who was playing right field for, uh, I think it was either the Mets or the Expos at that point, and may or may not have been invited to leave. I'll just kind of throw that out there. I was more referring to the uh, Indians v. Rangers fiasco that uh, one Billy Martin spurred on. But, uh, yeah, either way, we won't be selling beer. So uh, part of the benefit of playing at a high school stadium, they there you don't go. allow you to sell any beer. So we'll be good there. No need to uh, 
worry about fans storming the field and both teams having to band together and use their bats as weapons to fight their way into the clubhouse. That's just not going to happen in our game. Yeah, no bat giveaways, you know, because that usually goes poorly as well. So, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, good thinking there, Tim. All right. Thank you. All right. So, where can the folks find you on the social media? You got Tim underscore Costello 10 is how you can find me on Twitter. And as always, you can follow the show on Facebook at the Snaphook Podcast. Uh, you can find me at S Barzilla. On the Twitter machine, you can find me. I write uh, political uh, columns for Juanita Jeans Beauty Salon and I write for Battle Red Block for the Houston Texans. Also, remember, follow Tim's soccer team. Uh, so we'll give him another plug. Where can, where can they follow that team? Gaios FC is the team name. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter uh, as well, uh, and on YouTube. We have a YouTube page. So please be sure to um, check us out and give us a follow. Buy a, buy a ticket. You are entered into the raffle uh, to win a new, a rebuilt 1992 Camaro. So um, please be sure to, to, to get your entry. And I would love nothing more than to have one of our um, Snaphook listeners be the one who would win the the Camaro that would hey. uh, that would really touch me. Hey, I you know I don't know if I told you this story, but in high school when I turned eighteen, my original car died in the middle of the intersection at Barrier Boulevard and El Camino Real. We pushed it over to a gas station that used to be there on the corner, and that's the last time I saw it. So my parents were very nice, and they bought me a nineteen ninety two Camaro. Uh, uh, for me being 18 it was used but it was it was uh still a great car um yeah i hated giving it giving it up but you know you go into adulthood you need better gas mileage and you know these things kind of happen but that uh, let me tell you folks whoever winds up with that car uh, it is still to this day probably my favorite car I ever had it looks sweet man it is a sweet looking ride um I'm going to get to think, I think I'm going to get to drive it tomorrow, shooting a video with it. Really looking forward to being able to, to drive that sucker. Um, I may or may, I may or may not have gotten into a few drag races on red bluff in that car. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. That's dangerous, but I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad you made it. I'm not encouraging any, uh, Gaios fans to um, to do the same. No, I, I definitely would not recommend that either. Uh, but you know, childhoods, you know, we do stupid things when we're kids. So, uh, but thank y'all so much for joining us. Uh, please drop us a line on our Facebook page or on Twitter. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you'd like to hear. Uh, let us know who your scumbags are. You know, maybe if we get enough suggestions of the same person. Maybe we'll make a Mars come back. You never know. Yeah, if if we got uh, if we got some suggestions, I would not be opposed to a uh, a group choice of a scumbag, and I would happily, you know, recognize recognize that scumbag if if we got suggestions from the uh, from the listener base. All right. So, want to wish you luck 
definitely Friday night, probably more so since that's your livelihood, but also on Thursday for your golf league. Well, I do appreciate that, Scott. I, uh, I hope I have success in both worlds, but, um, you know, mo- more importantly, I think we, we worry about the, the game Friday, but I think it would be fantastic to be able to uh, get a great win on Thursday and then have a great game on Friday. All right. Until next time, folks, thanks for joining us. We'll see everybody next week. Thank you for tuning into the Stat Book and making Scott and I a part of your week. I wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snaphook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snaphook.